one historian who tracked this, described it very well, said, there are always only a few people who understand the need for self-sacrifice to preserve community. And they, we raise the banner of duty and honor against the depravity and despair of their time. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. Welcome back to the rest of my conversation with Dr. Margaret Wheatley. If you missed the last episode where we started our conversation, I really encourage you after you listen to this to go back and listen to that episode because we have a really engaging conversation. If you're not familiar with Dr. Margaret Wheatley, you're missing out. She is the author of the classic and iconic book, Leadership and the New Science, which really, really influenced me early on in my career when I first read it. And she was one of the first people to tie in the whole area of quantum theory and quantum science to leadership and talk about systems thinking and really open up a whole new horizon of how we look at the area of leadership. You definitely want to hear her and her thoughts. And now she's involved in basically trying to create warriors for the human spirit, as she calls them, and have a new age of leaders that put service over self, who are able to deal with chaos and crisis and failures and make a difference in the world. So she's really doing some incredible work in the world. And I know you'll be enriched by listening to the rest of our conversation today. Talk a little bit about what a warrior of the human spirit is and how you- A warrior for the human spirit is a sane human being wanting to serve an insane, inhumane time. And that requires enormous skills. It requires enormous inner capacity to be able to stay. We have the commitment to stay and to be in places where we are needed. We're needed for comfort. We're needed for possibility. We're needed for compassion, solace, all of those things within our, wherever we're leading. I'm still focused on leaders and activists. Okay. Although many people respond to this in order to stay engaged and not get swept up in the increased fear, negativity, and aggression, we have to work on ourselves. But we're not doing that to become more peaceful people. We're doing that to become a more peaceful presence yep. for other people. 
And there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever, because I've now been training warriors for six years. When we can be there and not get so easily triggered, not this is hard work, right? You're in a meeting, you're in a family situation, and suddenly everyone around you is angry and flying off the handle, and you find yourself suddenly filled with aggression and anger or fear. Well, you have to be able to have trained yourself. This is a level of consciousness. Trained yourself enough to notice, oh, I'm just getting really angry here. What do I do? I don't want to add to the aggression or fear that's in the room or in the situation. So we learn practices. Some of them are very Buddhist. Some of them are just eternally helpful practices for many traditions. So I have combined my work on leadership with my spiritual practices. And I'm very grateful. And it's interesting how what we've done, I work in leadership development for you know almost 30 years now. And so it's interesting how we separate those things that there's, it's mind, body, spirit, right? It's no, it's just mind. It's just a prefrontal cortex where yes. there's also the spirit part of us, right? The divine part, whatever, how, whatever you want to call it. That's right. It doesn't matter what the label is. So let's stay with this for a minute because yeah. this is something that I've been in leadership. I just added it up as 50 years, which just shocks me. But there was all that work on spiritual leadership in the 90s on building community within uh, organizations. And all of it came up short because organizations have their own values and their own needs. And it's nothing about spirituality or compassion necessarily. I worked with a few leaders who were very set on creating that depth of experience. But where are we now? So now, 30 years later, this is a personal choice that I need more grounding. I need more depth, more understanding of what makes for a meaningful life. Because we're now... All of the measures of success, profitability, material goods, healthy kids, all of those things now are falling short for enough people that they're turning to, okay, what else is there? There has to be more, right? There has to be more to life. Every spiritual tradition answers that question of meaning. Where I am interested in is... Yes, let's develop our spiritual depth so that we can use it in service to others. But see, that's a different leap. It's not we all become highly conscious and we'll change our organization. No, but it's in service of what's it in In service service of a bigger collective. No, I'm I'm with you. And I do think that's an important historic shift where we're trying to get our spiritual grounding inside our work and now it's our spiritual grounding that creates our work it helps us focus on who needs me what's needed here how could i contribute even though it's not going to change the global scene i'm insisting we all go local it's fascinating to me in a lot of the executive coaching work i do one of the things that 
people always say to me is, what do I do here? What do I do here? And my question always back is what I call the magic question, which you just said it, was what is needed here? Right. It's not about you. Fabulous. It's about what is needed here. And that's where you move from. Not from, right? right? And and how do they respond to that? They love it. Okay. It's actually, it's calming. I think the response is, oh, (laughs) like that pressure is not all on me. I need to move myself out of it. And so I think there's something big there. What I think we're talking the same thing is about moving out of that ego consciousness or whatever you want to into a more collective of what of service and how can I contribute versus it's me and what what do I prove and all of that. There's a big piece of that in what you're saying. One of the things we gain from any spiritual tradition or most all of them is that I'm just an insignificant player. Do we need any more photos from the Webb telescope to convince us that we're living in an incomprehensible universe of two trillion galaxies? Wait a minute. Yeah, I get the goosebumps. It's funny because I work with people who are who created the Webb telescope. And it's interesting, even these brilliant minds we're still all struggling with the same stuff. And so when you see that, it has to be sobering. It has to open up a window for us. I, I don't know. I don't know. You bring that up. Well, and- it does. And I think the window that was uh, was defined by Carlos Castaneda in his books relating Don Juan, the Aki shaman, many years ago, who said, understand that how, in, I'm not quoting, but this yeah, is, yeah. all right. Understand that we are totally insignificant, and this is the most important thing I can be doing right now. And to hold those, you don't need to resolve them. But when you ask what's needed here, rather than what will make me feel meaningful or purposeful, it's an entirely different locating yourself in your immediate reality with the skills that you have and offering them, even though it really wouldn't matter if the whole Milky Way galaxy disappears right now. So I love being in both sensibilities, like right here, right now, what's needed from me? What's the best use of me? And it's not even humility when you contemplate the size of this universe, our complete ignorance of how it's all working. And I think there's something in what you just said that, and I want to highlight that complete ignorance, because I think we are trained and especially so many people who are sitting and listening to this and leadership positions that I have to know, I know everything. I'm the all knowing, or I'm expected to know. And the reality, what you just said is that we're all operating in complete ignorance on some level. I love what you just said. Yeah, well, our ignorance is boundless. Yeah. Quite a wonderful experience when you don't have to be right. But I want to act with complete understanding that leaders are supposed to know what to do. And that what I'm seeing happening right now is the need for certainty, for outcomes, for schedules and timelines that actually work is being pushed down in the organization through many levels of hierarchy because 
the leader feels he or she, I'm just going to say he here, must be certain. Mm. And in fact, there is no certainty. And there's never been a better or more necessary time for engagement strategies. But when you're up against the wall as a leader and you still have to look like you're in control, what's happening is I just see pushing the control downward on people, which completely pushes them away and makes their life impossible. And so they leave. It's this quest for certainty rather than engagement that I think is the fundamental flaw in leadership these days. Yeah. And I wanted to ask on that note, I wanted to ask you this question. I find that many leaders that I encounter and I've been in large organizations that were always looking for the checklist, right? The tips, um, the steps. How do I, there's five steps and it's all about how do I do this better? How do I do this? And the conversation I think we're having is who you're being and not what you necessarily you're doing is a big part of this. That's part one. That's part one. So what's the checklist for that? This is my new book. Okay. Which is how to engage people. The title is Restoring Sanity. The subtitle, which is the heart of this book, is Practices to Awaken Generosity, Creativity, and Kindness of it. Yeah. ourselves and our organization. So the inner work of the leader is having unshakable faith that's developed over time that people can be creative, generous, and kind. But it's the leader's role to have that faith and then work extremely hard. Most challenging time for leadership ever is how I see it, to create condition so that people's best qualities can come forth. And that's all about high engagement strategies now. But I'm saying this is not possible in the organization at large. It is possible if you intentionally create yourself mentally and how you bring people together as an island of sanity. You have to set yourself apart Uh, There's a principle in biology called refugia. These are places that in the midst of fire and volcanoes and floods where life flourishes. And that's what I'm proposing as the only possibility now for peoples to work well together. So the inner work of the leader is being able to recognize in him and herself and in other people that, yes, we have these qualities. Now, what can I do to create the conditions? I think it's an enormous challenge. I list it, name it. This is the greatest challenge of your leadership life. I definitely, we want to reiterate the book at at the end of the podcast on the show notes to make sure people know where to find it when it's available, because it sounds like there's so much wisdom in that book that you're offering. And it's the offspring of the book that we started talking. That's the next iteration. So definitely. And we're going to link that one as well, just so people can check out your work. That's the starter text. (laughs) Uh, So start and then, yeah, perfect. 
just so I know we're we don't have all day, and so I, I well, we could keep talking. <laughs> I, uh, I could talk to you all day for sure. We are a good pair. I uh, think. No question about yeah. it. So I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions, just to round this out. As you talk, a lot of the onus is on leaders. There's a lot of literature that would say that everyone's a leader, right? That it's not just a position, yeah. and that we're followers, but we're also leaders. Yeah. What was your I, would, I would never state that. And I have written about this in the past several years that where I have understood that in times of crisis, when people are locked into fear and meaninglessness and don't want to participate, which is, a, I think, a generalizable description of most organizations these days, we need strong leaders. We need high engagement, morally ethical there for people believing in people leaders. And in a crisis situation, this is born fruit. Even in indigenous cultures where they have a really flat structure. Right, right. right. Um, Everybody can't a, be the leader. There's always a leader for the hunt or there's a leader for this or there's a leader for that. And right now, for me, the burden of proof the culpability lies with how leaders are behaving. So you can't say leaders need to own the destructive patterns that they're engaged in. And that's why I'm talking about this as the highest form of courage for a leader. You still believe in people, and that's being a warrior for the human spirit. And uh, a lot of those old truisms now are just escape statements because we don't want people to be leaders. We, we just want them to obey us generally in organizations and get the job done. And then we're not taking any responsibility for how disastrously destructive leadership has become. Yeah. And again, that's that even that's a whole conversation on its own organizational cultures and, and all of that. So, so let me ask you this on an end note as we round this conversation out, because there's just so many facets to what you're talking about. We're really talking about change. We're talking about a new way forward. So what advice would you give to leaders who are seeking to step up? We be warriors of the spirit and create or lead meaningful change. Well, it's really not about change. It's about survival right now. Really. That's a really good point. Okay. So it's not like we're in control and can decide how much change we want to create or create a culture of change. Now we organizational cultures need to be maximally adaptive at this point. And the only way you get to be adaptive is if you're using everybody's eyes, ears, and senses to determine what just happened and how are we going to respond to it. So going back years and years to the concept of a learning organization, learning is a survival strategy now, folks, and there's no way out of it. So for any up-and-coming leader, first of all, thank you for even contemplating this role because it's not about personal success or making large amounts of money, that's gone. And you can either step up in service to people and, and really feel that is your calling, 
And then you learn how to do that. But if you're just coming into a leadership position to get along, go along, make your mark within the organization, while the world is, as the UN just said, burning around us, and while more and more people are going to be devastated by food shortages and migration, doesn't matter if you're in a nice insular corporation, you're facing these challenges now. We saw it with supply chain, but it's going to get much more extreme. So I'm not interested in people becoming leaders in the old mode. I want people who actually want to serve at this time. And as a warrior for the human spirit on behalf of people, what can I do to make my life meaningful? actually, and not withdraw. Wow. What a wonderful metaphor to leave people with, the warrior for the human spirit. Yes. And looking at it that way, that's immensely profound. And what a difference that would make if we saw ourselves that way, the leaders that are listening. And these people always arise at the end of a civilization. And we're always few in number because as one historian who tracked this described it very well said, there are always only a few people who understand the need for self-sacrifice to preserve community. And they, we raise the banner of duty and honor against the depravity and despair of their time. Wow. And that's the hope. It's not a hope, it's a reality. These people are out there and that's who I'm working with now. I meant that's the hopeful message at the end, right? Of your But let's say it's inspiring. Inspiring. You have to decide really what's your own path going forward. And I mean, I have one son who's really on the path of making lots of money and doing good with his money, but making lots of money, building a large home. And I just watch it. I know I'm not going to convince him of anything else. And so we can do good service within our professions and still make profit from them in the old ways, but it's not going to last for long. And so I'm always testing with my sons and with my grandchildren, what are your deepest values here that will sustain you when all these comforts are not so easily achieved and things are so unstable. So that goes back to spiritual depth and practice. Absolutely. What a wonderful conversation, Meg. I so appreciate you being here today. This was, I really appreciate this as a real conversation because we're clearly seeing and even speaking some similar things. I just have a, this very radical view. No, and I, I love it. I think we <laughs> need to um, have a platform to have these conversations. So I so appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And always remember this. Every single moment, you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.